Hey everyone, this is Caleb, and I'm so excited that you decided to spend a few minutes of your day here with me on the Learner's Corner podcast. And today I am honored to be joined by Steve Carter, who has recently released a brand new book called The Thing Beneath the Thing, What's Hidden Inside and What God Helps Us Do About It. And this is an idea, this is a subject that I feel like I've been learning a lot about and trying to learn a lot about over the past couple of years. And so I'm excited to bring this conversation that I had with Steve with you here in just a little bit. However, this happens to be your first time listening to the Learner's Corner podcast. I want to tell you a little bit about some of the things that drive, really two core uh, beliefs that drive us here on the Learner's Corner. The first is this, is that we want to create a safe place to have difficult conversations because as you've gone throughout life, you've probably brought up all sorts of different uh, subjects and maybe one time that you uh, were just talking about something that you were learning about and you brought it up and you were asking somebody for their opinion and it was like, well, why did you why'd you bring that up? Or or you or they uh, you know just responded in uh, a tone and not a not a very welcoming or inviting tone and you just got the feeling that, oh, this person has some strong opinions and maybe they're, and it doesn't seem like they're opening to listen to other opinions or you're engaged with somebody who um, is is more concerned about uh, telling you why they're right instead of listening to you and from your perspective and where you come from in this. And here on the Learner's Corner, we want to create the type of place that is more of the type of conversations to where we can learn from each other and that we don't have to be right because so many things that there isn't a, there isn't necessarily a right and a wrong answer in a lot of different things. And it's just learning, learning how to navigate through that. And that's what we want to do here on the Learner's Corner podcast. And the second thing is tied to that. And it's that we truly believe that we can learn from anyone and from everyone and from anything and from everything. And sometimes that means following people's examples because they've handled situations really well or they've responded to adversity or challenging times or um, or just what life has handed them. They've stewarded it really well and we want to learn from them. And then there's other times to where they failed. And they did not handle the situation well, and they, but it helped them learn, and they learned from their mistakes, and they learned from their failures, and they grew. And that's what we want to do here on the Learner's Corner as well, is that we believe that there's many different things that you can learn from. You can learn from success, and you can learn from failure, and you can learn from life as well. And so that's why I have people like Steve on the podcast today. And uh, if... Uh, if you've been listening for a little while, you know we we typically have this uh, segment called the Learner's Corner Recommended Resource of the Week, and I'm uh, kind of shifting that a little bit, uh, and uh, you'll be uh, finding out some more stuff about that in a little bit. I'm still going to give you some recommended resources, um, you know, on the podcast feed here from time to time, and even some of the things that I've been thinking about recently as well. But I do want to tell you uh, one of the things, and I referenced it several times in our conversation that uh, that I learned from Steve recently. And he was recently a guest on the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. And he talked about uh, leaving Willow Creek, which is a church that he was a part of for a very long time. And we we talk about that briefly, but not a whole lot. He covers a lot of that uh, in the conversation that he has with Carrie. And then he talks about you know what crisis taught him and why character matters so much. And so I highly recommend that. I really enjoyed it. And it um, there's several things in there that I referenced in the conversation that he talked. Uh, that, let me back up. There's several things that he talked about in his conversation with Carrie that I asked some follow-up questions on because I, I like to have conversations and I, as best as I can, I try to make them uh, as unique as possible or as original as possible. And so I highly recommend that conversation that Steve and Carrie had is one that I really enjoyed. And the link to that will be in the show notes. And so let me tell you a little bit about Steve before we dive into our conversation. Steve is a renowned pastor, speaker, author, podcast host, sports enthusiast, and former leading teaching pastor of Willow Creek Community Church in Chicago. His passion is to bring Jesus into everything that he does. A gifted teacher, Steve spends his days crafting sermons, messages, blog posts, 
and books to encourage people in their walk with Christ. He describes his work as humbling and vulnerable, a soul-bearing process that keeps him dependent, expectant, and grounded in Christ. Currently, he lives in Phoenix, Arizona with his wife, Sarah, and their two kids. I also want to tell you that he is the, the podcast host. He is the host of the Craft and Character podcast and a co-host on the Home Team podcast as well. And so all of those links will be in the show notes. And so if you enjoy the conversation with Steve, you can check out those things as well. Now, without any further wait, here is my conversation with Steve Carter. Well, Steve, so excited to have you on the Learner's Corner podcast today. Thank you so much, man. It's good to be with you. Yeah. And just as we're getting started, you know, you've released this brand new book called The Thing Beneath the Thing. And anytime that I talk with, you know, an author, someone who has created uh, a work of art, I love hearing the story behind what made, you know, you in this case want to put this out into the world. And so I would just love to hear what's the thing or the series of events that led you to go, hey, I, I feel like I need to write this book. Yeah, great question. You know, probably 2008, it was the the winter 2008 and I'm driving home from my grandparents' house and it's snowing and I'm with my wife and nine-month-old and something hits our car and I realized it wasn't um it wasn't snow, but it was like a chunk of ice and it it like triggered something within me. Like somebody just threw this at me. And I remember just flipping a U-turn. My wife's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I can see people running right now. And she's like, don't just, let's just go home. I'm like, no, like the injustice of it. And I, I went on a tear, like ran through a field. I ended up chasing down uh, and found the home that, the, that these people were running to. And knock on the door, older gentleman literally answers the door. I ask, like, who just ran in here? I'd like to have a word with them. And is my grandson and his buddy just did. And and I'm a middle school pastor at the time, you know? And and I'm thinking these guys are college-age students. The door closes. He goes and gets them. And until this moment, I just felt like I heard this, like, whisper, like, who's the crazy one now, Steve? And the door opens, and it's these two sixth graders. And I was about ready to like go off on them. And I remember like walking back to the car because my wife was there and she wasn't happy. My nine month old was there. He was crying. And as I was walking back, I'm like, what was going on? And it was the fact that I was leaving my grandparents' house. And that was the last time I was going to see them because we were moving. And I was kind of going through uh, two weeks of saying goodbye every night to somebody. And on our way to my grandparents' house, the people who were going to buy our house had backed out. And I just felt scared. I didn't feel like uh, we were going to be okay. And this one chunk of ice thrown by a sixth grader gave me permission to lose my ever-loving mind. And I uh, I remember calling my mentor the next day to tell him and he just laughed and he just said, welcome to the thing beneath the thing, the endless discovery of what's really going on. And I just remember just that phrase going, man, this is, this is what's really going on. Uh, you might see what's above the surface, but what's underneath it? What's really going on? And over the next you know decade, I've just used that phrase in sermons. I've when I'm counseling or doing pastoral kind of uh, conversations with people in our congregation, I'll just ask the question when I hear something, well, what's underneath that? What's the thing beneath the thing? And, and then one day I had this moment where thing became an acronym. And I just saw that the reason people do stuff is that they got triggered. Like I got triggered by a chunk of ice hitting my car. And from that, you're going to go to uh, one of four places. Typically, you're going to go to a hideout where you just try to escape the pain of your story. You're going to go to insecurity uh, where you create a false story about yourself. You're going to go to narratives where you create false stories about others. Or it can be the opportunity to invite grace, um, sanctifying grace, the kind of grace that's God's power, ongoing process to make you whole, holy, and spiritually healthy. And so it just for me, 
this thing beneath the thing was going, got really, really clear of what's triggering you and where are you choosing to go? Mm-hmm. So whenever, whenever you get triggered by something, which I think, especially, you know, after the past couple of years that we've had, it seems like that, that just happens all the time. Uh, right now. What does the process look like for you for like examining something that maybe you're not entirely sure what it is, but you know, you, you just feel like, oh man, that seems like an an extreme reaction or you notice it or someone close to you notices it. Yeah. My, my counselor says that if it's hysterical, if you find yourself like getting hysterical, there's some range of like emotion in anger, frustration, sadness, you know, fear, it's most likely historical. So when you start to feel like, man, I, I got really defensive there. Or I, I really got a little like, I powered down or I powered up there. It's most likely historical. Something has happened that this other person got too close to a pain point in your story. And so for me, it's just trying to get a little curious, like what's underneath that? Like, what, what, what did this person remind me of? And it's not how I used to always be. I mean, honestly, like, I, I felt all the permission in the world to go to a hideout or to think insecure thoughts or to think narratives about other people. But I'll never forget coming home and telling my wife, like, this one person had done it again. They had minimized me in a conversation, their tone. It just, it just I was looking for some spousal backup. And when I told my wife what had happened, she just said, isn't God so kind? And I'm like, what do you mean God's so kind? That's, that's, this guy's being a jerk. And she's like, no, no, no. I'm like, why is God so kind? And she said, because he keeps bringing people into your life who remind you of someone who deeply wounded you. And you haven't had the courageous curiosity to understand this. And so your life continues to be held in check until you showcase that curiosity. And that changed it for me. Now, like when I get triggered, I look at it as an invitation to become more whole, holy, and spiritually healthy rather than permission to go and escape um, in sadness or escape in hideouts or escape in insecurity or escape in villainizing and creating false narratives about others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, something along those lines that I wanted to ask you about is, you know, at least for me and my own experience, you know, sometimes, you know, maybe we've, we've, created a narrative or we've told ourselves something so long that it's hard to identify what the thing is that triggered us, like the the deep emotional wound. How have you, or what are some of the things that you've learned to better identify that? Because sometimes it can be just really hard to identify because, hey, it was it was 17 years ago and we told ourselves that it didn't matter. And we believe that now. Yes. Well, that's that's really, really great, Caleb. I, you know, I think a couple things. One is I used to say this when I worked with students to their parents. Kids are very perceptive. They're just not always the best interpreters of reality. So they can perceive something, but it's the stories that they craft out of their perceptions that usually get them into trouble. So mom and dad are fighting. They can perceive that. They can hear the screaming, the shouting. But then it's mom and dad are fighting because of me, because I'm such a screw up. That That's how they interpret it. And that's when you start to believe those false stories. It's hard to untangle from that. Because especially when you start creating stories that are far from how God sees you or far from how a situation really played out. So we need actual tour guides. We need actual voices in our life that can really help us go. I think you perceive that there's an issue there. I just think it's the story that you've crafted is a little off. And so, you know, for me, it's, it's, it's come from mentors and it's come from pastors and it's come from counselors and spiritual directors. And I think just people who I've opened my life up to to say, okay, help me really get to the thing beneath the thing here. I, I know there's an issue with this relationship, or I, I know that I keep running to this hideout, or you know, I, I, I realize that this person is reminding me of a situation in my childhood. Can can we can we like begin to do some good work? To, to really understand the real why that's underneath this. Mm-hmm. So I think it's happened from, for all of us, probably from time to time, you know, someone set us off and, you know, we, we, we reacted, we had, uh, and we have to do dan like, I don't know if damage control is the right word for, it, um, but we, we let all of our stuff just fly out all on other people. Um, how do you, first of all, I would just love 
your response or just thoughts on like how to go about like responding to that well and like just kind of on the the other dynamic if you're a leader and it's like hey like my my junk is like seeping out to other people and just handling that tension as well yeah so you know for me i i go back to the scriptures proverbs 4:23 says above all else guard your heart for everything flows from it so the word guard in Hebrew is the word nasar, and it literally means to like relentlessly guard, protect what you believe is most valuable. So you're supposed to like guard your heart because everything tosa, everything flows from it. Everything generates or originates from your heart. And so um, I know that I'm not perfect. I'm far from perfect. I know that there's moments as a father, as a husband, as a leader that I miss the mark of what a good parent, a good husband, a good pastor, a good leader does. So first and foremost, I have to get really, really good at saying I was wrong. Um, unfortunately, many of us were, we came into the faith by admitting that we were wrong. And then once we said yes to Jesus, we just, we, we are like dead set and being committed to being right all the time. I think we just have to, we have to model like we're all in process. We're wrong. So there's one piece. Second piece is I have a practice. I typically do Sunday nights or Monday mornings. Mm-hmm. And the first thing I do is I look at the past week and I just play it back. Say, hey, was there a, was there a moment where I, I lost my cool? Was there a moment where I... I just, I, I missed it. Is there a moment that I tweeted something I wish I didn't tweet? Is there something that I, if I just play it back and I don't get focused so much on what I did, I get focused on how I got to that point. So maybe I was hungry. Maybe I was tired. Maybe, maybe I was stressed. Maybe I just felt like I didn't have enough margin. Um, maybe, you know, like today I, I got a flat tire. So I had to drive my car to discount tire to get it worked on. Um, but there happens to be two discount tires on the same road here in Phoenix. And so my my wife made an appointment at the wrong discount tire. And so I drove to the one and they're like, you don't have an appointment. I'm like, I think I do. And then come to find out, I was at the wrong place. So there's this moment here where I got to like, oh man, like this is going to slow my day down. This is going to da, da, da. Like, and it's not the guy's fault. And it's not my wife's fault. But it's, it's, it's gotten in the way of my day. And it's out of this moment I can go, okay, it didn't go the way I expected. But I've, I've played this out before. I've, I've like, fig- like, we know how to handle this in a, in a healthier way. But there are sometimes when you, you play it back and you realize, I messed up. So, so now, like, who, why did I mess up? Well, it didn't go the way I thought. And I was a little bit tired. And okay, now I got to go apologize. I got to figure that. Well, then the second part of that practice is I play it out. I put myself in that situation again in the upcoming week where I'm tired or I haven't had enough food or I feel like my margins are smaller. And, and all of a sudden, like I now imagine like Jesus is beside me going, okay, how, how would you better respond? Because anytime you react, you're just reenacting the past. And so if you're going to respond, that's the only thing we have control over. In the book, I talk about E plus R equals O. It's like this Jack Canfield leadership quote. We don't control the events. The only thing we control is our response and how we choose to respond will create a healthy or broken outcome. So in that, like I, I just go, this is how I, I want to choose and almost practice responding. And so if I find myself in that situation in the coming week, great. And then I don't just play it back and I don't just play it out. Thirdly, I play it smart. And in my, my mind is, if, if everything flows from my heart, how in this next week am I going to refuel my heart? Like, what, what do I need to do to make sure that what's coming out of my heart is a healthy, grace-filled place? And then lastly, I just make the commitment uh, to play it honest. You know, it's feelings have movement to them. That's why they call it emotion. It, there's, a, this, there's this movement towards them. And so um, I'm either going to like not show up honest and human or I am. And I make that commitment to say, no, I'm going to be, I'm going to play it honest. And here, here's the deal. Like, I, I wish I wouldn't have said it that way. Hey, I was wrong here and I'm sorry. Hey, I, I, I got triggered in this moment and I took it out on you. And that's, that's not who I want to be. So for me, I have to do though the work to get in tune with the thing beneath the thing. And sometimes it's little exercises and practices that help me because I'm, maybe it's, the guy in me, I don't know. I'm just a little bit socially unaware or emotionally unaware at times. Yeah. Uh, you talked about refueling your heart. What does that look like for you? 
Yeah, it, it changes in different seasons. So right now I'm in Phoenix. And so we're in the summer months here in Phoenix, which feels like the winter months um, somewhere else because it's just so hot and rattlesnakes. But typically come September through May, I'm hiking most mornings or mountain biking. Um, if I can be near water, I'll be near water. Um, uh, typically it's it's scheduling time with my kids and, and scheduling time with my wife on a date night. It's something that's just going to, allow me just um, to escape, no, uh, not escape, uh, to es- exhale and just be like, ah, this is like, I'm not on. Like, I'm just, I'm just get to be like, I, I just like, um, and I, it's just for me, it's the spaces that, um, I don't know. I just feel like it's moments of being in God's word or going to a new coffee shop or it can be the silliest of things. Uh, but it's just something that's just refueling um, just from my unique wiring. I used to do Sabbath. And the thing I would do when I lived in Chicago was um, I would try a different neighborhood. And I, I, I recognize that part of my Sabbath experience was I like to explore and I like to experience and delight in something new. And so it was just this moment by myself, phone off, just kind of exploring a new part of town, a new coffee shop, seeing new architecture, like it just, and totally disconnected and just having moments with journal and a Bible. So whatever that I can, that feels intentional to um, just exhale, just be, just experience, just showcase delight. Um, is, is the stuff I'm, I'm, I'm choosing to do. Yeah. I want to go back to something that you said earlier. You know, you talked about becoming more comfortable with getting wrong. What has helped you become more comfortable with getting wrong? Because as you mentioned, that's not the default position. And, uh, and sadly to say, especially whenever it comes to Christians and followers of Jesus, it feels like. Yeah, I think the, the closer I've, I've gotten to understand what grace is, um, I think the older that you get, you know, it might be even having kids, you know, you, you kind of watch you know, if, if your son or your daughter minimizes a little decision, you're like, well, you're going to have to deal with this sometime. You know what I mean? You, 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 can, you can learn it right now or you're going to have to learn it in two months or four months or two years or 10 years. Like you can, you can put in the effort right now to learn what you need to learn or you're going to continue to be presented with opportunities because God cares about you not just getting into heaven. He cares about you being whole and holy here and now. And he's going he's gonna to be relentless to give you those opportunities. You know, you want to be a person who's more patient, who bears the fruit of patience. Uh, he's going to put you in situations that are literally going to make you address your impatience, you know? So, so I think for me, it's, it's gotten to the, the point of recognizing, I say I want to be a person of peace, then why do I keep choosing things that will only give me a fleeting sense of peace? And if I'm only choosing things that are giving me a fleeting sense of peace, but I'm describing and proclaiming I want to be a person of peace, then what's the disconnect? What, 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 why is there this, like, just this, it's just this incongruence with what I'm saying I want. Well, let's let's go after that. Because if 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 not, I either want the wrong thing or I write the wrong I, I want the right thing, but the way that I'm attacking it is in the wrong way or with the wrong motives. And so for me, it's just been simply just trying to be as honest and human with myself to experience the power, the sheer beauty and gift that grace is, and recognizing. I'm so far from arriving. I am in process. So let's just be kind to yourself. Let's just be honest. Let's just be human. And let's let's see what God wants to do in and through and for and with us. Yeah. I think one of one of the things that really stood out to me that you kind of changed my thinking on or helped me explore in a different way in the book is you talked about this, uh, and I'm not going to get the quote right, exact, right exactly, but about earning grace versus putting the, in the effort from Dallas Willard. Would you mind unpacking yeah. that a little bit? Just because, again, such a such a mind shifter for me. Yeah, Dallas talks about how grace is opposed to earning, but never opposed to effort. And that that that's like a beautiful, beautiful concept because, you know, I think when we think about trying to earn grace, you know, it's, and it's where we've gotten... Um, I think a little bit off on the idea, but it's just in the sense of, oh man, that that's works. That's works. You're trying to, you're trying to earn this. And, and again, coming out of the context of the law doing this, then you were considered this. 
I understand why they were saying, hey, this is this is only something you can receive. But to receive it and then to apply it takes effort. To receive grace and then actually allow it to do what it wants to do to make you whole, holy, and spiritually healthy, it takes effort. Like, I don't have a natural bent to be patient. I don't have a natural bent to um, be holy. Like, I don't, I'm not like one day going to naturally just wake up and be like, dude, the craziest thing. I'm like Billy Graham. Like it just happened. I don't know how it happened. It, like all of that takes effort. It takes effort to, man, I want to be a person that goes so deep with Jesus, or I want to be a person who can listen well, or I want to be a person who doesn't center themselves in every story. I want to be that kind of person. I can say that, but it takes the effort to actually put that into practice. Yeah. Uh, one of the things, just as I was preparing for our conversation today, I was listening uh, to an interview that you did on a Carrie's Newhouse podcast a couple of weeks ago. And uh, one of the things that you said, which uh, just got me thinking, and I was so excited to explore with you, is you know, you talked about this Dave Chappelle story and this Dave, this quote about how your character or your your competency could take you places that your character like can't sustain you. And I was just curious just to get your thoughts more on that and kind of ask, like, I feel like so many people have. I mean, we've probably all found ourselves at a place like that before. And what do you do when you find yourself in that place? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a it's a great question. You know, I I think I think in some ways we went through a season where we started to celebrate our strengths, and and I, and I love that. Like I I I love the work of Marcus Buckingham. I love what strength finders have done. I think there's been a lot of like helpful awareness for who we are. I think when I talk about though, people who ended up relying on not just their strengths, but just in a sense of chasing what the, what that strength can give them at the detriment of their formation, of their character development. And so Dave Chappelle, you know, he signs a $50 million contract, season three, episode five, tells a joke. He ends up hearing some dude laugh and he just thinks to his himself, like this joke wasn't worth that kind of laughter. And so he just goes, that guy's only trying to be my friend because of money. And he freaks out and he calls his driver, gets in a limo, goes to the airport, ends up flying to a monastery in South Africa he stays there for a number of weeks. He finds himself on a on the couch of Oprah. And I don't know how Oprah does it, but Oprah just looks at him in the eyes. And he starts to cry. He's like, why'd you do it, Dave? And, and he says that line, success can take you places that character cannot sustain you. And I think every leader has to have the end in sight. So the end, like every time I get done preaching on a weekend, I walk to my car or to the Uber and I'm literally like one weekend closer to finishing well one weekend closer. And I want to finish well. That's the goal for me. I want to finish well. Um, and then secondly is what is in my life that could derail that? And I'm not trying to slow down my, my gifting. I just don't want to put all of my effort and energy in developing what's happening on the outside at the cost of not being able to see what the obvious blind spots or dashboard signals for my own brokenness. Because bigger the stage, uh, the bigger the lights, the bigger the spotlights on the places that you have been able to hide and manage and control how people see you. And it's only a matter of time and that's the, that's the beauty of grace. See, grace wants to find you, but grace is relentless to find you out. Because it, once it finds you and it finds you out, then it can do what it wants to do, which is to make you, make you whole, holy, and spiritually healthy. But too often, we just want grace to find us, not to find us out. And we want grace to find us and, and not to have us be slowed down in any way to chase those dreams or chase those achievements or chase something that I don't even think God is actually going, that's what you need to do to earn. But we get caught up in that. 
I got to earn this. I got to earn this. I got to prove this. And it's, it's some other counterfeit God, as Tim Keller would say. And so, so for me, it's just being really honest and human going, hey, here's an area. If you, don't, if you don't actually get that under check, it could really derail you. It could derail your family. Um, it, can, it, can, it, can, it can literally do a ton of collateral damage. And not with shame, but just again, with more curiosity going, what do I need to do to keep working on this and understanding my addiction or understanding my uh, temptation or understanding my, my story and pain and brokenness? Um, because if I don't, it's, it's just plays into the enemy's hands. Yeah. Can you talk just about how you've seen in your life, like the, what you were talking about, the gift of slowing down with it? Yeah, you know, I I think for me, part of a lot of my my brokenness <clears throat> would be probably very very socially acceptable, you know, especially in the church. You know, I I I have gotten my brides confused multiple times, not not with another woman, um, but with the institution of church. My fidelity in my marriage um, at times has been. Uh, confused because of my love for the local church. And so if you were to sit in on some of our counseling appointments, you, you would see like, oh, there were a couple of conversations or a couple of decisions or a couple of choices that I made that at the time I didn't even know, like Romans 7.15, I do not understand what I do. You know what I mean? Um, but, but the more that I'm now able to look back, I realize like, oh, Oh, I I was running from something. So slowing down, I think, when you cannot lead with shame, but you can lead with curiosity, and you have incredible grace and truth tellers around you, um, whether counselors, spiritual directors, mentors, spouse, friends, people in your life who can just begin to like make you aware and really help you understand, like, why do you do what you do? You're like, why 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 are you running to this? And you know, that's for the last three years after stepping out of Willow, like we've been in this desert season and this has been a season where that achievement muscle has been attacked. You know what I mean? Because I knew how to achieve. I knew how to create goals and go after them. And I just felt like God tell me you can't achieve your way out of this. You can only grieve your way through it. And I didn't know how to grieve. And so to be able to slow it down, to be able to listen, to be able to like really, really focus. Because if I didn't, I would just transfer that pain onto somebody else. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I'm believing slowing down is actually going to allow me to go further and farther in God's kingdom. Yeah. Talk to me about what you've learned about just learning how to grieve well. Because as you said, that's not something we don't, we don't talk about that a lot, especially in the church. Yeah, I think I'm really still in process about this one, to be honest. Like I <laughs> I mean, I've got just journal pages and and notes. Um, but I think what's our relationship to disappointment? You know, what's what's our relationship to um expectation? And 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 part of expectation, you know, is just it's just um premeditated resentments, you know, that we just put on another person. And so how how can I learn to enjoy right here and right now? Um, how when right here and right now hasn't gone the way that I thought it would? Where do I where do I place that? And 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 you you see it you know even with the Hebrew people like at the base of Mount Sinai, you know they're, they're dealing with worry, fear. They're they're grieving what they knew and had control over. Even if it was a bad situation, it was a familiar position. And Moses is on top of the mountain. They start playing with their ears and like, there's gold here. Well, let's, let's create this golden calf. And, and literally what this thing is, is a place for them to place their anxiety and place their worry. And I think I've been really, really fascinated to recognize like, oh man, like I have a whole bunch of golden calves that I have placed my sadness. So food, I've placed my sadness work. I've placed my sadness performance. I've placed my sad, like all trying to medicate and mediate on my behalf that you're going to be okay. And part of the work is realizing, oh, in the desert or the deserted place, do I really believe that I'm not alone? And, and you know, in the most simplistic 
discipleship formula. You know, we're, we're fascinated by simple truths, you know, tweetable phrases, you know, God is with me and God is for me. It's a simple phrase. We can sing it. God's a good, good father. We can sing that. But and then you find yourself in the midst of struggle. And the simple phrase, will it hold up when you're like in a 12-round heavyweight battle with life and betrayal or abandonment or you didn't see something coming and it hits you and blindsided you? Does the phrase, God is with you, God is for me, does it hold up? And once you can do the real wrestling and the real grieving and the real work and you realize that simple phrase has gone through the struggle, it becomes profoundly sacred. There's a weight to it. So when you say the phrase, God is with me, you're like, hey, I know because he's with me in the desert. And um, it's not just some song or some verse or some tweetable phrase. It's it's a part of my story. It's like a it's like a rock that I that's part of an altar moment for me that I just carry with me. And it's a way of God just showcasing an evidence of his goodness and mercy for me. Yeah. You have, uh, I mean, there's a lot of powerful quotes in the oh, book, but thanks, one man. of, one of the things, uh, that really stood out to me that I feel like just ties into what we were talking about is, um, you have this quote from, from some of the spiritual poets and you say the spiritual poets, father Thomas Keaton and Mary, uh, Murawski, I think Murawski, something like that. Uh, you, taught me you, to... you said it as good as I could ever say it. So <laughs> I just, I, I say it really quickly with authority and move on. And everyone's like, Oh, that's how you say it. Oh, that's yeah. good. That's good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you say, uh, they taught me to respond to growing my curiosity by saying, welcome, welcome, welcome. I welcome everything that comes to me in this moment because I know it is for my healing. And obviously like, I know that that's probably something that you continue to work through to, you know, to to gain that greater welcoming. What I would just love your thoughts on that quote and um, what has helped you better maintain or get to that posture as well. Yeah, most days I start my day with the welcome prayer. And so that welcome mm-hmm. prayer, you know, begins just with that first line, welcome, welcome, welcome. Um, and and when you welcome things be- that that come your way because you recognize it's 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 for your healing. Now, what it's not saying is like, I welcome disease or I welcome this attack that's going to happen to me. What, it, what it's saying though is I welcome the emotions that come my way. I welcome them because I recognize, oh, I'm getting really, really frustrated right now. Like that, that actual awareness of that emotion, there's something underneath. There's a thing beneath the thing that if I can lean into that, it's actually going to lead to my to my healing and my wholeness and what Christ wants to do in me. And so the prayer continues on and it talks about letting go, letting go of, you know, a desire for security, letting go for achievement, letting go of finding yourself in anything else and opening yourself up to what God wants to do and opening yourself up to God's love. And and for me, this has been really, really helpful is in, I think I was a kid who growing up, I, I shamed my desires so I'd have desires. I didn't know what to do with them. So I shamed them. I, I was so afraid that I would be angry. So I didn't know what to do with that. So I stuffed that. I, I was someone who really in many ways tried to denounce any part of my physical existence um, and emotional existence. I just like, don't just, and, and really, I think in some ways, like try to be as stoic as possible. And I think really it doesn't, it doesn't help you. And now I think I'm just becoming aware of, wow, like this, this is in me. So let's not shame it. Let's just be curious. And let's just, God, by your grace, what do you want to do with this? Um, Because again, there's emotion to it. If I don't, if I don't look at that with the proper light, it might lead me to bitterness. It might lead me to putting up walls. It might lead me to self-preservation or image management. It might lead me to, to something other than God's best for that moment. Yeah. Which, which real quick, sorry, I was yeah. just saying, no, go for which, it. which, which will stunt my growth. Hmm. Cause every time I say no to an invitation, God's so kind, he's going to keep bringing these invitations, but I'm stunting and slowing what God wants to do. So, yeah. Uh, a couple of things that I wanted to uh, ask you about that, again, I heard you mention in the in the interview with Carrie, is I heard you talk about building your life plan for it. And, you know, I heard you talk about like these four buckets of preaching, coaching, writing, 
and sports. And I would just love to hear what what was the pro- what did that process look like? And then even particularly, like I love that you have sports as a bucket, just because like you could just tell like that's you. Yeah. And like learning to become comfortable with with that sports is one of your buckets. I would just love to hear your process just for all of that. Yeah. Well, I think part of the life plan, it was founded by this incredible leader. And, and this leader, uh, you know, Peter Drucker said was the greatest strategist that's ever lived. I mean, this guy was like brought in to help Fortune 100, 500,000 companies have a strategic plan so that their company would go up and to the right. And he made, he helped companies make billions of dollars. But the thing that he kept, I don't know, discovering is maybe during a lunch or a dinner, one of the CEOs or executive leaders said, hey, what you did right there for that for our company, can you do that for my life? Because I, I don't, I don't know what I'm trying to accomplish. Like, I, I know I'm a cog in the wheel of this company. I don't know why I'm here. And so he, he kind of took this like strategic planning and he kind of tr- morphed it a little bit and created a life plan. And it's, it's this 48 hour to 72 hour experience with a guide that um, it feels very, very spiritual, very, very strategic, a ton of homework, a ton of questions. And you really get to discern and distill down to, and what's my calling? What's what? what, what why? Why am I here? What, what? What am I uniquely wired to do and to be? And and so those those kinds of phrases for me, those buckets of preaching and coaching communicators, writing, and then sports um, were just like that's that's me. Then the question becomes, well, how do you monetize that? <laughs> because you can't just be like, well, you know. I'm really good at FIFA or, you know, (laughs) Madden, like that could be, but like really deep down, it's like, what am I doing that's actually going to help provide for my family? That's actually going to be true to my calling. And so, yeah, they just, then I started to kind of play with those buckets and um, just, it gave me focus for my day. And again, I think when I had a, a boss or I had a coach, they told me what I needed to do. I wasn't really good at naming my own desires. So it was amazing opportunity. Parker Palmer, if anyone likes to read, he wrote a book called Let Your Life Speak. It's a great 100-page book. But he talks about vocation as learning to listen to your life. And that's what I felt like the life plan was, was me listening to my life and going, oh, I, I love preaching. And I love coaching communicators. And I, I like to write. And I really love sports. And okay, so let's let's name this. Let's claim this. And let's begin to kind of arrange our life towards this. Was uh, was the sports part? Was that easy for you to accept that or not? Um, I I think it was, in in a sense. I think you know, for the person who was at first doing my life plan, I think I had to sell him a little bit on it because he's like, Steve, you you're a preacher, like you preach. And yeah. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know, I I get that, and I like to preach. And he's like, you're a coach. I've seen you make people better. I get that. Yeah, yeah. And you write, like, I think there's more books in you. Like, we, yeah, I don't understand the sport. Is that a hobby? And I'm like, yeah, it is. But it's somehow, and I think the home team podcast, you know, with our mm-hmm. sports podcast with Sam Macho and Trey Burton, like, it's kind of this intersection of faith, sports, and culture. At that same time, when I left Willow, a mentor of mine said, Steve, just redream it all up again. And part of redreaming it all up was, you know, I, I pitched a television show about sports. And so like, so part of it was just like, I don't know, I'm just going to throw stuff out there. And so I think me identifying it was good for me. But I think the 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 gift was when someone was like, I don't see it for me to have to defend it. And because yeah. what I was defending was I was defending my desire. And that was really healthy for me um, for where I was at that time. Yeah. Uh, and I did want to ask you about your podcast as well. What specifically are some of the things that through doing the home team podcast and through do, I mean, you have the crafting character podcast too. I'd be interested to hear what are some of the things that you've learned through those specific podcasts or like, like that have really stood out to you in that? Well, I think with the, the home team, you know, it's an intersection of faith, sports, culture, 
and family. And we use sports as the, as the props. So basically you could talk about Simone Biles at the Olympics and how, and then just look at it from a whole different bunch of angles. If you were a parent to Simone and you heard this, like, what would you be saying if your kids are going to this, you know, culture saying you need to push and, and culture saying like, you need to, to actually own up to mental health. And so I think for, for us, what I love about it is using sports as the prop to get to the thing beneath the thing. With craft and character, though, is I've really, it's, it's kind of a unique podcast because I take communicators, we break down their talks. But then what I'm fascinated by is how they're choosing to have their character lead the way. And what I found is just every communicator is wired different. Their approach is different. How they take care of their souls is different. It might, they might call it Sabbath, but the way they actually approach Sabbath is wildly different. Or, you know, uh, Dr. Glenn Packiam, great pastor out of Colorado Springs, he, you know, he had this phrase of, you know, I'm doing one thing right now for my soul. And at the same time, I know that this practice that I'm doing for my soul has a shelf life. So I constantly have to be digging new wells. And I just thought like, that's genius. Like I'm investing into the future. So it recognizing that, hey, this like this Mav City album has a shelf life and I might need some other, some other expression for worship or expression. So how am I taking responsibility to explore that? So again, just getting to, to learn from some incredible women and men on how they approach it has been a gift for me. Yeah, that's such a game changer idea and learning to just be at peace with Hey, this was good for six months. Yeah. And now it's not. It's right. It's right. It's right. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's so, so true. Yeah. Uh, another thing, uh, actually, I, I think uh, one of the, I want to go back to the book real quick because I think this ties into something as well of learning that some things are okay for a season. Um, you talk about pruning in there and you talk about the two different forms of pruning, which, you know, for me, I don't, you, you only hear the pruning, but then you dive into that deeper and explain, you know, thinning and pinching. Can you unpack that a little bit? Yeah. So vines um, want to grow. Branches want to grow. And there's only so many, so many units of energy that can actually really allow a branch to produce the best kind of fruit. So a great gardener, um, a great vine dresser has to be able to really look at the branches and say, okay, um, this one, we need to have more energy go towards that, more nutrients go towards that. Um, but it comes at a cost. You know, every time we say yes to something, we're saying no to something. Every time we say no to something, we're saying yes to something. So what a great vine dresser does is it thins out the branches so that more nutrients can go to the ones that can withstand the adversity or the stress or the elements so that it can produce the best grape, which can produce the best bottle of wine. The second one is what they call pinching. And, and what's also fascinating is that some of the shoots on a vine, sometimes they want to bloom too soon. And I think I'm that way. It's like, I, 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 I want to be able to microwave my spiritual formation. And God's like, no, uh, it takes time. You know, the, the Israelites were really only 40 days from the promised land and it took them 40 years. And, and because they needed to almost work Egypt out of them and the way that they had all of these views of God and self and life, they it had to like get out of their system. So part of, our kind of discipleship and formation is how do we respond when God says, not just no, or when God says, not now. You know, mentor says that there's three responses God gives to our prayers. Yes, no, and not now. And I think what's hard though, is we look to the right or we look to the left and we see they're blooming. It's their season of harvest. And we're like, wait, wait, wait I got to wait. Why do I have to wait? I don't want to wait. I don't want to wait. And, and part of that is learning to wait well. And so the pruning piece that I think most vine dressers would talk about is learning to thin out so that you're giving energy to the most important things. And when you have to wait, how do we become the kind of people who don't hate the wait, the kind of people who waste the wait, but truly the kind of people who learn how to win the wait? Yeah. Uh, and. I, I'm referring a lot back to it because it's such a great interview, but something else that you said in Carrie's uh, interviews, you know, you mentioned this statement that you'd come up with uh, is that a life anchored in Jesus 
has nothing to prove, nothing to lose, nothing to hide through that. Uh, is that something that you came up with on your own? Is that like... Yeah. So um, I have this... I, I help out at a church called Forest City in, in Illinois, and they've mm-hmm. got this amazing... Um, kind of like older wise, we call him the Don. Um, his name's TJ Addington. And TJ, TJ, he was the first person I had ever heard say nothing to prove, nothing to lose, nothing to hide. Yeah. And I, I had been doing this teach on a life anchored in Jesus. And um, in Dallas Willard, he has this in the renovation of heart, that formation is about vision, intention, and means. And you got to have a vision statement. And so just talking with, TJ one day, we were both just talking about how John 10 has two visions. You know, one is the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And the other one is Jesus saying, I've come that you may have life and have it to the full or have it um, abundantly. And and just going, man, like I need a vision that like I really want to live into. And so the vision statement was a life anchored in Jesus. And based on my conversations with TJ, uh, a life anchored in Jesus is one that has nothing to prove, nothing to lose, and nothing to hide. And then Dallas would say, now you got to live with intention towards that. And then the means or the methods are the practices that are going to help you embody that. And so that's that's been part of this whole journey in the desert is learning to like really put some teeth to that idea, some disciplines and spiritual exercises to help me be someone that doesn't try to prove themselves or hide or play with scarcity mindset, but actually walk in freedom and grace. Yeah. What's one of the practices that has been helping you recently? Well, recently, um, I have been really, really trying to figure out um, how to do solitude well. And um, one of it has been just because I travel a ton and I'm by myself a lot, which has been really, really helpful. But I've been really, really good to really jam-pack my schedule. And so I'll, I'll travel, I'll see people. and But I think in some ways, just learning to embrace silence and solitude. It's really helped me realize like, you don't have to prove anything. Yeah. And, and so a constant sense of just like learning to have moments or even days. Um, usually it's, it's a walk in a city or it's, a, it's some kind of experience at a, at, a, at a coffee shop or hotel room where I'm just like trying to sit in silence and really have to fight against that spirit of distraction. Um, that wants to go and do and chase and think and like, and just actually just sit and almost learn just to be comfortable in my own skin again. Yeah. Well, I got one final thing I want to ask you, but before I do, I know that we've covered a lot of stuff in the book. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that you want to make sure uh, that we talk about or anything that just comes to mind? No, man, you've done a great job. You asked really, really great questions. So it's an honor to be with you, man. Okay. Last question I got is, uh, talk to me about the difference that you've seen in yourself uh, from having worked on the things behind the thing in yourself. Yeah, I mean, I think it'd be awesome. You know, if my wife was here, I'd, I'd have her come up. Uh, but I think, I think that there's way more grace for myself. There's less pressure, um, more curiosity, less shame, um, more understanding and empathy for self and for others and less judgment and self-condemnation. It's, it's really been fascinating because I realized so much of my angst towards myself was I should know, I should know, I should have a map. I should, I should know how to do this. Like why, 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 why? Like, and realizing, Oh, that, that came from somewhere and, and beginning to actually not have my life controlled by something that happened years and years and years ago, but actually beginning to walk in the newfound freedom and grace that I so easily preach about. But now I'm actually getting to, to live in, in ways that just make me, I feel like more joyful and more fun to be around. And, um, on a, um, and then I think just, just truth be told, like there's, I'm seeing growth you know, and not just like achievement growth. I'm just seeing growth in, um, who I'm becoming, um, which is, I don't know. It's, it's, it's fun to see that side of development, you know, um, as you become a person of peace and not just continue to escape to, 
um, something that you think will give you a sense of peace. Mm-hmm. Well, Steve, I know that people are going to want to keep up with you and get the book. Where's the best place for people to go to do all of those things? Well, it's it's great because uh, our publisher is awesome. The book is everywhere: Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Hudson's, Christian bookstores, local bookstores. Um, um, but you can find me online, stevecarter.org, or you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Steve Ryan Carter. Um, and I think I've been, for some apparent reason, like a little bit uh, hijacked on Facebook, so I can't post. So if anybody listening, you work at Facebook and you want to help a brother out, find me, help me. Um, I promise I, I would love to post there too. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. Definitely, bro. Thank you for having me. It means the world. I think coming out of that conversation with Steve, one of the things that I've just been thinking about is constructing my own life plan that he talked about through it and trying to figure out what that looks like for me and figuring out what that path, um, how that path, hmm, I guess how figuring out the path that I want to be on and figuring out what my big buckets are with that. And there's so much other stuff. I mean. You listened to the conversation. You heard a lot of the things that that could probably that really stood out to me from that. And I think it's just the whole. Um, I mean, it's just the big idea of the book of being willing to dig into what drives us, and the as he talks about the the narratives in that or our hiding places, and really being to kind of interrogate ourselves to figure out what is going on beneath the surface in our lives. And how that plays out and what our our internal emotions or our internal motivating factors are for it. And realizing that a lot of it is to escape some type of shame, to escape some type of embarrassment or feelings that we just don't want to acknowledge or feelings that we don't want to deal with at all. And that's been something that I've just been trying to learn a lot through through probably the past three or four years or so. And there's just a ton of freedom that comes from that as well. And it allows you to love other people better, which if you've been listening to the podcast for a while is something that um, that I'm constantly trying to figure out and constantly asking people how they do that as well and how, how to deal with your junk so that it doesn't get in the way of loving other people and caring for them. As well. So that's one of the things that I've been learning about recently. And one of the reasons why I'm really glad that I got the opportunity to talk with Steve as well. So if this happens to be your first time or you've been listening for a long time and you haven't had a chance to uh, leave a rating and write a review of the podcast, I would love for you to do that. That's one of the best ways that you could show your appreciation. You could also, uh, if you enjoy this episode, hey, you could just put it on uh, social media as well. Would love that as well. Um, And you can hit the follow button or the subscribe button on whatever podcast player you use, and you will never miss an episode. If there's something that you would like us to cover on the podcast, maybe there's something to where you're trying to figure out, hey, uh, I haven't really heard anybody talk about this, or there's a perspective that you're trying to seek out. Uh, The best way to reach out to the podcast is through this email address, learnerscornerpodcast at gmail.com. Would love to hear from you, any guests or ideas or anything like that, um, that you would love to be covered on the podcast. Because like I said, I know that you may not have somebody that you could talk with these things about. Well, at least we could talk about them on the podcast. And so there you go. Uh, before we, uh, sign off, I do want to say a couple of quick shout outs and thank yous to Sam Massey, who created the music for this podcast and Garrett Oler, who does the editing for this podcast. Thanks again to Steve for being on the podcast. And thank you for listening all the way to the very end of the podcast as well. My name is Caleb Mason. And until next time, keep learning and keep growing.